I want to invite everybody to please stand again. We're going to get a little bit of exercise and open our Bibles to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. And Mel and choir, worship team, thank you so much. That was awesome. And it is hard to follow something like that with anything else but God's Word. So Revelation chapter 21, it'll be on the screen, verses 1 through 8. Starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. And I will bless his God and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. They shall be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. We know as we read your word that you win. Jesus, you are the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the first and the last. You are the beginning and the end. You sit On the throne, you are the lion and the lamb who was slain. You are worthy to open the scroll, to break its seals, and you are worthy of all glory and power and praise and majesty and dominion. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, now to be our teacher, to bring encouragement, to bring strength, to bring conviction, to bring healing, to bring transformation, so that you, Jesus, are glorified, so that you are lifted up. And we thank you and praise you, Jesus, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We praise you that you are here right now. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Once again, I just want to say welcome again to everyone. And throughout this service, I was just sitting there thinking, it's like, this is amazing. We're hearing Chinese and Spanish. We have a family going to Malawi, just all the different cultures that are here. And I don't know if you know it, but Daniel Hegel, let's see, he is North American by blood, but born and raised in Mexico. He and Sandra and their family were missionaries in Malaysia. And so you have this, where is Daniel? I'm picking on him. Where'd he go? There he is. So uh, Mexican-American, Malaysian, speaking speak. Anyway, I just was amazed listening to the scripture readings of just all the different languages. And Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for the incredible privilege that you've given us to be able just to taste a glimpse of heaven. And over these past four weeks, as we've looked at the book of Revelation, 
And growing up, I thought Revelation was all about wars and battle and bloods and guts. But in reality, Revelation is so much more about worship and the fact that Jesus has conquered sin and death. And it's so much more about him being glorified in everything that we say and do. And the nations, all the nations, gathering around him to worship him because he is worthy. And that's what we see here today. We see once again how John, as he's finishing up this prophetic vision that he's had, and if you remember, John was on the island of Patmos. He was exiled because he was a believer. He was a leader in the church. It's almost the end of the first century. All the apostles, all the other apostles have already been killed for their faith. The church, which is infant stage of church, just several decades of, of life, they're turning over leadership because the original leadership of the apostles, they're all dead. Persecution within the Roman world is beginning to happen and press into the church. It's not widespread yet. But one of the reasons John wrote this book, well, Jesus revealed it to him, but it was to write to seven churches in Asia Minor to encourage them because they were being persecuted. And so much of what we see here in the book of Revelation, it's all about God on his throne having the victory. And it makes me think of these early churches where the apostles are gone. They've been snuffed out, stamped out, crucified, stoned, cut in half, killed for their faith. Other leaders are beginning to be persecuted. How would you feel if your leadership is beginning to dissolve? How does my home church in Mexico feel now that their pastors had to flee the country because of the cartels? They're struggling. And so with this letter from the book of Revelation and all that John speaks to these seven churches about persevering and being encouraged and God is still on his throne. And here we have it right here in Revelation chapter 21. It's an incredible little passage and I'll be honest with you. I have about six sermons I'd love to share today. So we're going to ramp up the RPMs and hopefully we'll get it done. Now I'm just teasing. We'll talk about a couple things about things that are made new. Where God declares here, I make everything new. And being those who thirst. Have you ever been thirsty before? Who has truly been thirsty? I'm talking about physical, needing water. My first year in Mexico, my first month in Mexico, and I'm sure I've shared this story in the past. I, flew, I moved to Mexico in the summer of 1995. Oh, y'all are supposed to be like, whoo! And within the first month, the church that we were working with, because we were partnering with a vineyard church there in town, they took the whole youth group to go camping up in the mountains. Now, in the end of June in Mexico, where we're from, it's right before rainy season starts. And it's 95, 100 degrees out, not humid, it's just hot. And we went from 7,000 feet altitude on a plateau up to about 10,000 feet up in the mountains. It's the southern Sierra de Madres, which is part of the Rocky Mountains. And so it's even higher, and it's hotter in Billy Boo Blazes. And one day, we all decided to go hiking up the mountain. Now, I don't know any Spanish. I mean, I'm just following. I have no idea. So we start going hiking. There's about 25 of us. And as we go, I'm realizing, wait, where, where are we going? And who's got water? 25 kids, one gallon of water. That's all we had. And I had no idea. I was ready to kill everybody when we got back. It was a five-hour hike. And we literally almost lost people. We got to the top of the mountain, and I'm freaking out because people are literally, physically freaking out. 
And I'm sitting there thinking, we got to go back down. And I've never been so hot and so thirsty. We literally had kids staggering back into camp five hours later. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't wait for a new day. I can't wait for water. I can't wait for a shower. I can't wait to start over. I was so thirsty and so dehydrated and so scared and so nervous because of what the leaders just did to the rest of us. And for about an hour, kids are straggling in. I mean, it was all, everyone for himself as we hiked back down that mountain. And it was only by God's grace that everyone got back safe. No one died. Many of us were dehydrated. We ended up driving back down to town and buying a whole lot of water and Gatorade. And some people, I mean, they needed medical attention. And just by God's great grace, everyone was okay. But I can remember, and as I'm even sharing this story, I mean, a lot of cuss words are coming into my mind of what I was saying when I was going back down the mountain and how mad I was at the leadership. But as I sit there thinking just about how thirsty I was and how I longed to have started that day over, how I longed for a new day and just drinking. And we sat and we just drank and we 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 drank water. Because we are literally, some of us were dying of thirst. And when I think back on it, thank you, Jesus, that nothing horrible happened. Have you ever been so thirsty that all, the only thing that could quench your thirst was true water? Have you ever been in a situation where you longed that everything would be made new again? A do-over, a start-over, a renewal. Here in Revelation chapter 21, we've already read it. And we'll go through it here. Here in verse 1, what does John say? He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to see that, that word, new. Everything new. New, 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 new. But John is saying, I see this new heaven and this new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, they've passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Now remember, this is prophetic. It's poetic. There's so much symbolism here. But John is saying there's a new heaven and a new earth, and he sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ. It's all symbolic of the church, us. We are the church, everyone who believes in Jesus. We're part of the church, and we're called the bride of Christ. And one of the great symbolisms that God uses in all of his scripture between God and his people is marriage which it should be the most intimate, real, holy relationship that we could ever have here on earth. It's an incredible symbol. So he talks about, he, he sees the bride of Christ, which is the church, us, being adorned. And I sit, when I go to weddings, or if I officiate weddings, or thinking back to my wedding, and I think of how much preparation the bride takes to get ready. And many times it's weeks of a good diet, and then all the work to make her look, herself look beautiful for that day. And then when she comes into the sanctuary during the wedding service, what does everybody do? We all stand up. It's her day. And when I officiate weddings, I tell the groom, today's not your day. Your responsibility as the groom is to make sure she doesn't fall down going up and down the steps. It is all about her today. Now, life isn't about us as the church. But on one hand, when the marriage of the lamb and the bride all will stand and watch the bride, us, come forward. And he, Jesus, 
He has purified us. He has made us holy. He has washed us completely clean of all of our sin. He is the one who draws us to himself so that we can have this amazing intimate relationship with him for eternity. And it's all because of his grace and mercy. Now, when it talks about new, the word new here in this, the word in Greek is kainos, kainos. I don't know how to pronounce it. But this is what it means. It means unusual, universal, fresh, novel. It's new in regard to form and quality rather than a reference of time. We have a lot of new babies. Harpeth James, who's sitting back there with her grandparents, she wasn't around a year ago on the outside. Sorry, isn't that right, Jameson? When was she born? Yeah. She's a new baby. And there's several around here who are new. But this reference of new has to do more with quality, quantity, not with time. For example, an oak tree. One example is an acorn. It's got to be put to the ground and actually die. And then what does it produce? An oak tree. Now, it comes from the same thing. What was a seed, an acorn, then becomes a tree. It is transformed. It is made new. It is reborn. It is completely and utterly changed. We see that example with Jesus after he rose from the dead. They recognized him, but they didn't recognize him. They could touch his scars. They could put their hand in his side. He actually said, let me eat fish and I'll show you I'm not a ghost. And yet he could pass through walls and doors. He would disappear and they're like, where'd he go? He would reappear. He wasn't a ghost, but his body was made new. And Paul talks a lot about that in the first Corinthians, where we will have new bodies. In second Corinthians chapter five, it's a very well-known verse for us as Christians. It says, if anyone is in Christ, what? He's a new creation. I'm still Doug after I accepted Christ. My wife, Christy, is still Christy, but we're made new. We're transformed. And there's lots of debate going back here to chapter to verse 1 here. New heaven, new earth. What all does that mean? We need to understand that God makes all things new. And as we continue here in verse 3, then John says, then I heard a loud voice. What type of voice? Loud. Ooh, y'all didn't, y'all are like loud. Loud. A loud voice. A, yes, a loud voice from where? The throne. This is God himself. What does he declare? Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. The other word for dwelling is tabernacle. And we see from the Old Testament beyond, God had Moses create and build a tabernacle, a tent of meeting. David had it in his heart to build a temple. His son Solomon built it. And then as we come into the New Testament where God says, and we see all throughout, we the church are God's temple. And Holy Spirit, God himself, abides in us. If we truly ponder that, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, the God we've been reading all about here in Revelation, lives in you. Think about that. Richard Nelson, thank you for what you told me this morning before the worship. I've had a very hard week. It's been hard. He asked me, how are you doing? Right before we started. I said, I'm doing okay. I'm pretty stressed out. He said, abide in the boat, brother. Sleep in the boat with the storm. And that spoke to me powerfully. That's right. Jesus is in me.
If you love Jesus, he's in you. You are his temple. And look what it says here. God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. God's been saying that since the get-go. But because of our sin and our rebellion, there's been this huge separation. And in God's incredible sovereignty, working through time and the history, his story, calling out Abraham, and then the, the prophets, the kings, the people of Israel. Finally, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, giving us his spirit. And then look how it's described. And this is not wishful thinking here. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Amen. It's not wishful thinking. How many of us have grieved this past month, have cried this past month, have suffered pain, physical, emotional, relational pain? It will all be wiped away. All of it. It's not hopeful or wishful thinking. And then look at what John says in verse, at the end of verse 4. He says, because the previous things have passed away, God makes all things new. And that's what he declares here in verse 5. Then the one seated on the throne, who the one seated on the throne, said, look, I'm making everything new. I can't watch this movie anymore. It's just too violent. But the Passion of the Christ that Mel Gibson did almost 15, 20 years ago, it's a powerful movie. If you've never seen it, whew! And it's the crucifixion of Christ. And it's gory, it's violent, it's heart-wrenching. There's only been two movies in my life where I've sat after the movie in the theater, and it is dead silent. And in the movie, as Jesus is, want, is walking, carrying his cross through Jerusalem to out of the city, he falls down and his mother's there. She runs up. That means it's very Hollywooded up. Jesus is beaten to a pulp. His mother, she, her heart is wrenched. And as Jesus gets back up, he puts his hand, and it's a movie, but he puts his hand on his mother's cheek. And he says, you see, woman, I make everything new. And when I watched it that time, it hit me like a ton of bricks because it reminded me all throughout the book of Isaiah, which many people consider the fifth gospel, written 700 years before Jesus even lived on earth. God is continually saying throughout Isaiah, I make all things new. I make everything new. I am the Savior. I am the Lord. And it's God's declaration. He makes all things new. He declares it here. He makes everything new. And then he tells John, write, because these words are faithful and true. That means they're trustworthy. They're reliable. They're dependable. There is no falsehood or falseness in it. There's no lying. There's no deceiving in what God is saying here. It is completely 100% reliable and dependable. If God says it, he will do it. And it's true. There's no lie in it. There's no deceit. He then goes on and he says in verse 6, Then he said to me, It is done. Where have you heard that before? It is finished. On the cross. And here we see the culmination of everything that God has been doing through his son Jesus Christ. When he returns and he judges all evil. And Satan is thrown into the lake of fire forever. 
And he sits on his throne, God, and he's pulled, he's drawn all of his people to himself where we will be with him forever. And he describes part of what it's going to be like. No death, no tears, no grieving, no sorrow, no pain. And then he declares, it's done. And he goes on to declare who he is. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God is so amazing and immense. He's outside of time. Completely and utterly outside of time. In fact, he controls time in his hands. And then look what he says. And I love this. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. Where have we heard that before? John chapter 4. Jesus says it all the time. The woman at the well. What did he tell her? In John 4.10, he says, If you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who was talking to you and who was saying, give me something to drink, you would ask him. And what would he do? He would give you living waters. Jesus says it over and over. In John 7, on the last day of the feast, he stands up and he says it. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and I'll give him living waters. And he who believes in me according to the scriptures... Living waters will flow out of him. And he's talking about Holy Spirit. We've all been created for relationship, first and foremost with him. And we have this deep longing for, we have this deep longing for that relationship with our Father. But because of our sin and because we live in a broken world, we chase after so many different things and we drink out of so many different wells. The wells of money, of relationships, jobs, Enjoyment, pleasure. What wells are we drinking out of? One of my big temptations with Christmas is wanting to have the perfect Christmas. And my focus then becomes on Christmas and not the reason for Christmas, which is Christ himself. But all of us as humans have this deep, deep longing. And unfortunately, most of us don't even know know what that longing is nor who can fulfill it. We know it's Jesus himself. Are you drinking the water that he so freely offers every day? He continues. The one who conquers will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. He'll be my daughter. The one who conquers. Jesus said in John chapter 16 verse 33. And I want to make sure I say this right. I'm going to check here. He says, I have told you these things. He's telling his disciples, this is right before he's handed over to suffering and death. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. Why are we conquerors? Because Christ has conquered. And if we believe in him and if we stay close to him, we will conquer. The Apostle John, he writes in 1 John chapter 5, this is what he says. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. Because everyone who's been born of God conquers the world. Why do we conquer the world? Because we've been born of God. We're born of God because we have faith in Christ. And because we love and believe Jesus, he has conquered the world, so therefore we conquer the world. He then goes on, this is the victory that we have. That has conquered the world. It's our faith. You see, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that it is impossible to please God without faith. 
But because we believe in Jesus, because we love him, we're more than conquerors. And it's not because of us, but it's because of him. Because he has conquered the world. And it's not just some fantasy dream up there. I mean, I shared earlier, I experienced it this morning with a loving rebuke and encouragement from a dear brother. And he didn't even know he was rebuking me. Abide. Abide in Christ. As we walk closely with Jesus and rest in him and drink the water that he so offers, we'll be more than conquerors. Jesus offers real, living water. It's fellowship with him. And he calls us to come to him daily in worship, prayer, reading his word, living according to his word, listening to his voice, walking in humble obedience. As we do that, he fills us up with his very presence. And it's just a taste of what we'll have when we get to heaven, when we see all of this. One of the fun things to think about is we're going to be part of what's just described here. We'll be the bride. Now, there is a dire warning. It kind of ends on a, ugh. Verse 8, but the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Whew. That describes all of us. It describes all of us. Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We are all born into verse 8. And praise be to God for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus because of his grace and mercy. We've been made new. A new creation. And we're no longer part of verse 8. But this is a dire warning for those who play games with God. Those who refuse to humble themselves to Jesus' call to come to him and bow the knee and confess him as Lord and Savior. This is a stark reminder to everyone that one day we will face the judgment seat of Christ. And if we don't believe in him, we stand on the outside. And we'll be eternally cast away forever. And that is horrible, dreadful news. But for everyone who loves Jesus and has put their faith in him, we're part of that new creation. So, Chris, go to the last slide, the very last one. So here's a couple of challenge questions for us today, our response. Number one, are you eagerly awaiting the blessed return of Jesus? He will return. Do you eagerly wait for it? Or are we just living for ourselves here and today? He will return. That's part of Advent is to prepare us, not just for Christmas, but his second coming. The second question is this, what wells of water are you drinking from? Is it the water that Jesus gives, or is it something else? Where are you running to be filled up? The third one's this, persevere in the faith. We're called to persevere and to run hard. Mel quoted a passage from Hebrews. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Throw off everything that hinders 
and run with perseverance. Let's not be cowardly. And finally, who in your life is still on the outside and needs to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Christmas is not about family, friends, fellowship, food, and presents. Christmas is to celebrate God with us. Christ coming, drawing near to be one of us so that he could shed his dear blood on the cross for our salvation. Who in your life is still part of verse 8 here and needs to be rescued from the fires of hell and become part of the bride of Christ? And what are you going to do about it? Because God has called all of us to shine his light and his love to those around us each and every day. Let's pray. I want us to stand, and we're going to take, we've been doing this the past several weeks. I want us to take 120 seconds, two minutes, and just allow Holy Spirit to speak to us. Members of our prayer team will be over here to your right at the next steps area, and if you need prayer, want prayer, if God's been speaking to you today, we would love to pray with you. Let's just take a few moments allowing Holy Spirit to speak to each and every one of us. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you have not left us to our own, that you've loved us so much you've gave your only one and begotten son, Jesus, to live, to be born as a dear, precious baby, and to live and die as one of us, shedding his blood on the cross for our sins, for our salvation, for our forgiveness, for our redemption. And we praise you that you make all things new. Lord, may we expectantly and eagerly wait for you. And as we thirst, may we run to you, Jesus, believing in you as the scriptures say. 
drinking from the water you give, hoping and knowing that one day you'll return and that we will be with you forever, Heavenly Father. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.